Hello, welcome to the Pilates Mom podcast. I have the pleasure today of speaking with Corey Ireland of Ireland Physiotherapy Clinic in Kingsville, Ontario. Welcome, Corey. How are you? I'm great, Renee. How are you doing tonight? I am good, thank you. So happy to have you. I am thrilled to be here with you. Excellent. So I want to kind of demystify pelvic floor physical therapy for anyone that's listening that's not familiar with it yet or is a little hesitant. Um, they're not really sure what to expect. Um, I always refer my clients that are, you know, mentioning any kind of discomfort or struggles to go see a pelvic floor physio. I mentioned it in my book as well. So I think it's very important. I've seen one myself after my first uh, and second baby. So please, let's just start with that. So explain to us why it is important and maybe what people can expect in their first appointment. So I love that you use the word demystify. Um, I think that is, it is so relevant for the time. And, you know, this is something that we should be comfortable talking about and it should be a part of our conversations, you know, on the regular instead Mm -hmm. of accepting a lot of these things, you know, that we're warned about as the new normal. And I often say, you know, just because it's common doesn't mean it's, it's normal. And, um, you know, pelvic floor care falls around falls into the same realm so it's this thing you know that we're just talk starting to talk about and you know people are opening up to the idea and you know we're getting great results with it but it's also still relatively new here um, yeah definitely yeah. and so- my old son is only nine years old and from the time I had my first son to the time I had my youngest daughter who is now five even in that period of time and then until now there's been so much more um, just knowledge about it and just common conversation about it which is awesome it it's incredible and like we look to in Canada we look to Australia and the UK for you know what they're doing what the standards are there And, um, you know, postpartum care with a physio, that's something that is, that's just standard. You get six visits with a, with a physio in your first, you know, six months to a year postpartum. And like, there are people advocating here in Canada for that. Um, so it becomes just part of our, our, our norm, but so what it, what it is and what I want it to be for Mm -hmm. everybody is you know, it's like brushing your teeth and drinking enough water is, you know, non-negotiables instead of this mystic kind of thing. So um, we talk about, you know, pelvic floor therapists and pelvic floor therapy, um, Mm -hmm. but I like to call it pelvic health um, because our pelvic health is way more than just our pelvic floor. So our pelvic floor might often get us there um, into, you know, to see myself or my colleagues or a pelvic health therapist, but it is um, often the pelvic floor, the core, your breath, your, the way your whole body is working and you're using your body, what gets you out of my office. So yes, it is a whole system, right? And that's, I think something that we're finally catching on to is the body is one whole system 
and we need to stop in Western medicine, I personally feel, looking at it as isolated, dissected pieces that can be fixed you know, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, no, that's like the, the biomedical model, um, really fo- puts us in boxes and, um, pelvic health, especially, um, for physiotherapy is really bringing to the forefront, the important of what we call this biopsychosocial model where, you know, we are looking at you as a whole person. We need to understand you as a whole person and we need to understand, you know, maybe how your jaw pain or your headaches or your back pain, you know, does actually relate to what's happening with your, you know, pelvic health. And, you Definitely. know, yeah. And foot pain, foot issues, Big. you know, and just linking in all this new knowledge we have of fascia. It's, you know, it's one integrated system. Fascia, you know, how our, um, you know, the sensory um, arrangement of our parts in our brain is arranged. Like, you you know, it's funny that you commented on the foot, like the foot and the pelvic floor is um, hugely related and has these intimate connections, which are fascinating. Definitely. Um, yeah. So, so in pelvic health, when you come in for an assessment, just as what we're chatting about here, Renee, we are, we ask a lot of information about a lot of different things because there are a million and one things that could be contributing to your feelings of heaviness or your pain or your leaking or, you know, this sensations of bladder um, irritation and frequency and urgency and those types of things. So it, it first starts with really understanding you and your lifestyle and your diet and all these other contributing, uh, potential contributing factors. So we, uh, we spend a lot, we almost spend more time in the first day talking. Okay. So lots of intake information, history, background. We want the whole story. We want to know about your achy hips and back. We want to know about how you delivered we want to know about you know the experience around you delivering all of that matters um, very cool yeah so and and that really sets a nice stage for rapport because this is a very vulnerable thing like you're meeting you're meeting me or you're meeting your your pelvic health therapist for the first time and you know you're expecting this i don't know pull my pants off for this new person or whatever so we we do like to date a little bit and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and help to build that trust because we don't want uh, the exam to be uncomfortable. That becomes contradictory to what we're trying to achieve here for you. So once we've got that information gathering, then our next step is to move into some part of the physical exam. And keeping with this theme of looking at the whole person, you know, we want to look at, you know, how is your rib cage moving? How is your back and your hips moving? You know, how you, um, do you do you fear movement? Are you, um, does your body accept movement? So we're observing a lot of those things outside of the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Very uh, interesting. Yeah, because that gives us a lot of information too. And especially with, you know, hips and backs, there's a lot, we treat a lot of people who have, you know, seen other therapists for the, these persisting, you know, creaky hips and sore backs and that sort of thing. And, you know, not having a whole lot of success. And 
what it ended up being was a pelvic floor issue. So if we're not, if we're not looking at all of the neighbors, then we miss mm-hmm. some of the contributors and drivers. Interesting. Yeah. And I think that there's, um, well, it's two things I want to mention on that. Like part of my reason for putting out my book, which is a really light, almost silly read was I wanted women to be able to giggle about the topic. As you're saying, they're very vulnerable. I don't want to necessarily talk about it or tell anyone they're having issues. So that was the idea was to have people lighten up a little bit. Let's have a conversation about it. It's our bodies. If any other part of your body was bothering you, you would probably go see a doctor. So why would you ignore, you know, what else is happening in your pelvis, especially post baby. Um, And the other thing that you were just mentioning about, like, let's say a client came with you because they had a hip pain, they've seen other uh, therapists, I think it's important for people to know that not only moms need to see a pelvic floor physio. That's right. Yeah. So So talk to us a little bit about that piece. Yeah. So there are, um, so I also treat uh, a pediatric population as well. You know, mm-hmm. we see we see leaking in, you know, teenage girls. We see girls that are, you know, seven, eight, nine years old with this giggle incontinence. Like this is you don't need to have babies to to leak. You don't need to have babies to have a diastasis. You know, right. This, yeah. This isn't something that is exclusive to the mom group. You can have a prolapse um, from constant, you know, bearing down and straining from chronic constipation and just even poor breath mechanics without having a baby. Definitely. Um, And the constipation could be linked just to something as simple as even diet. Diet, movement, you know, uh, the way that our little, little quick rant. So North American potties, they kind of set mm. us up for pelvic floor dysfunction. Definitely. Definitely. Right. Like that's, we, are that's denied. why someone came out with the squatty potty stool and I've traveled around Asia a lot. So I have squatted and peed in holes in the ground. So I fully appreciate that, that concept. That game, like exactly right. Like we are, you know, we are above that in North America, generally speaking, you know, to poop in a hole, but our anatomy is designed for us to get down and poop in a hole. So yes, thank goodness for the squatty potty. But yeah, even just poor toileting postures are, um, you know, we can inadvertently create issues with urgency and frequency with, you know, oh, I'm heading out the door. I better, I better hit the bathroom. And without knowing it, we're actually training ourselves to hold less and to hold um, our urine for not as long with those habits. Interesting. See, I am someone that grew up with urgency issues and bladder issues. And I am definitely that girl, like what you just said, that's before I leave the house, not only do I go to the washroom, but for some reason, I will also say to my kids, like, okay, we're going to go sledding. Like, who needs to go to the bathroom? <laughs> like, that is definitely something that happens in this household. So that's very interesting. And very well intended, right? Like, it's there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's reasons why you want those kiddos to go. But, you know, you know kiddos, they, you know, they can void, uh, like, young kids anywhere between four to six times in a day they actually void a little less than us 
they they can they have the capacities to hold for long so physiologically you know to push that just in case p on them that does kind of set the stage for some patterns into adulthood that um aren't necessarily optimal uh interesting yes and definitely that's something i have noticed in my kids is compared to myself yeah i feel like sometimes i might only pee like once or twice a day you know that's right. Um, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Let's go back to the mom piece just for one moment. So if you are a woman that has had a baby, um, I think that a lot of older moms don't understand the piece that they don't have to have newborn babies to come and see you. Like said, children can be in their thirties or, you know, at any stage, um, you, you can still reverse what's happening, make changes, heal, strengthen, et cetera. So maybe speak on that a little bit. So, yeah, you're completely right. So there's two sides to that coin. There's the side to that coin where, you know, your kiddos are off at school or even starting their own family and you have been, you know, trying to manage for decades with symptoms of heaviness, leaking, pain, you know, whatever it may be. And the other side to that coin is, you know, it, you you didn't, you didn't have too many issues. Everything was, was fine, but you know, over time, new symptoms have developed. And that is, that is also often the case, whether it be uh, factors with menopause or just, um, you know, we are able to kind of get away with certain strategies for a certain amount of time. And now things are starting to manifest, but especially these, these women, as we're entering that next phase of menopause, it's really important that we make take these steps to optimize our pelvic health for that next stage. And you're right, Renee, it's, it's, it's really never too late. Like I, we have, we have men and women on our caseload um, that are in their seventies and eighties. Um, and if, if you, if they're, if they're motivated and, you know, and they are, they, they get great results. Well, and I think that the bigger picture too is regardless of the age piece, but for older individuals that are now maybe having issues that they did not have right after babies is like, I personally would want to try everything possible before going the route of surgery. That's right. And if we look at the statistics for surgery and I'm, I'm going off the top of my head here, um, but there is a very high, um, I think it's around 38%, um, rate of recurrence after surgery and the reason for that being and it could even be as high as 60 the reason being is if we don't correct the reasons for why you needed that surgery yes. in the first place then you, you are going to need that surgery again so yes. even if you know surgery is the answer skipping the physio part um doesn't save you anything in the end it, it just it uh it gets you, it could get you another trip to the, the operating room. Yes. And I've definitely, have seen this with clients and, you know, sometimes the piece could be something as simple as like learning how to realign your posture, you know, learning how to sit and stand and realign the rib cage over the pelvis, like just these little things that if they weren't an active physical person, they've maybe never been told anything about their posture, the way they stand, et cetera. Um, and these little pieces can make such a huge difference in the overall function of, you know, their pelvis, their core, their spine, you know, kind of the whole picture. That, that's right. So um, pelvic health comes down to how well can you optimize your core? 
And in physio, we define our core as our pelvic floor, a deep muscle in our tummy called our transversus abdominis, a deep muscle in our back called our multifidus, and our breathing muscle, our diaphragm. So if you want good pelvic health, you need to optimize how those four different groups work well together. And you're right, Renee, it is often a matter of let your tummy go, untuck your bum, and don't let your ribs flare, right? So let yes. your diaphragm can descend. Because when that diaphragm descends, that's what sort of elasticizes and loads the pelvic floor tissue to then be able to prepare for a contraction. So again, yes. it goes to that whole systems piece where if we're missing what's happening at the rib cage and we're not optimizing what that breath is doing, then we're not going to be able to help the pelvic floor issue. So mm -hmm. and you're, we speak the same language because that is exactly Pilates world. That is how we would define the deep core as well. And that's what our goal is, you know, in connecting to with our breathing is to create that stabilization using the breathing tool to get better results than in movement. Breath is core. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on on that one. It's uh, I know there's a you know people come to see you and people come to see me and you know they want like the meat and potatoes and if if you don't have the breath mastered. Um, the meat and the potatoes is, isn't worth a thing. Yeah, definitely. So let's dive into just the breathing piece for a moment, which I know could be like a three-hour podcast on its own. But um, so in Pilates and my contemporary training, the breathing that I would teach, which is also very similar to hypopressives, which is another core training technique that I do. Um, it's all about the posterior lateral expansion. We really talk about trying to avoid a belly breath, which I've also taught and trained in different styles of yoga. So I also appreciate um, the benefits of a belly breathing. So talk to us a little bit. So for those of us that are Pilates in instructors that have always, you know, taught no belly breathing, and now there's new information out about letting the belly move. Talk to us a little bit about how you would teach breathing. Because I know it's very similar, but it is, you know, can be slightly different. Or maybe when you would see that in a client to choose more of a belly breath cue versus a posterior lateral ribcage extension. Yeah, and I think I'm gonna comment on that first because I think that it's so important. So it, you know, it we can't speak to the masses here with this. So when we're focusing right. more on a posterior lateral expansion, especially more of a posterior one and limiting a belly breath for people that are, you know, trying to manage a prolapse that can actually increase and challenge the prolapse in a negative way. Um, so we want to make sure that their breath is moving in 360 degrees, moving into abdomen and so into that belly, as well as into those ribs to allow those ribs to kind of come out in that um, bucket handle type of motion and then into mm -hmm. the back as well. So I yes, and you gave a beautiful cue uh, once when I heard you speak of the image of like an umbrella opening. Yeah, so depending on the time of year. So sometimes it's a Christmas tree and sometimes it's an umbrella. <laughs> right. um, so yeah, so the top of our thorax being or our throat being the, umbra the umbrella handle or the top of the Christmas tree. 
um, we really, you know, ideally want to go after um, the bottom of the thorax, the ribs, the back, then opening up in this full plane of motion, forward, back, sideways, and even the oblique angles too. Um, mm-hmm. Where people are more, so, and this is where the, the kind of the more specific cueing comes in. So where people are more belly dominant, well, then for sure, we're going to cue them um, to more of the posterior lateral bit, because this is where generally, and I think this is where this has come from with Pilates, is it's easy for people to breathe into their tummy relatively. It's right. Yes. People are less connected to what their rib cage is doing in the back and in the side. So I think relatively we need more effort and more focus and more mindfulness to those areas to get a proportionate amount of movement there, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I think, you know, in general, people just tend to not breathe. Um, They don't breathe deep enough. They don't access the lower lobes of the lungs, whether it's a belly breath or a posterior breath or shallow breathers they are creating a cycle of tension and strain in the upper um, accessory respiratory muscles. So when you tell them to take a big breath in, I find with my clients that are newer, um, you just see their shoulders float up like, because they're trying to take a big breath, you know, so then it's like, then I'll play with, okay, well, let's try breathing into the the ribs, breathe into my hands, let's take a few belly breaths. Um, nice. So I'm glad that you've um, explained, you know, all of that. So would you ever, um, you know, cue, do you do it in layers? Like, would you start with maybe doing just more belly breathing at first, or is it just specific to the client and maybe what their issue is? Yeah, definitely specific to them and what they're, and what's going on. But I, I do find that typically it is easier for, um, you know, men and women to find um, their belly breath quicker, especially if they're more of a, like an upper chest breather. So, and so we'll, we'll often start there just as an easier way to kind of familiarize themselves with being in tune to their breath and not necessarily focusing on the deep breath, but just allowing that same volume of air to sink a little bit deeper into, um, into their abdominal cavity. And, and, you know, we love what you just said, you know, it's all about tactile feedback, right? Like people need to feel where this air is going and having my hands Mm -hmm. and their hands on to feel that then really sets the stage for that breath to be able to then move into their back and into their lateral ribs. And then in pelvic health, we really like to take it into the pelvic floor too. So, we want that Christmas tree or that umbrella to then move into what we call a pelvic diamond. So um, once you know we can get that 360 degree breath, now we want you to take that normal breath of air and move it even deeper. And we want you to imagine that your two sit bones and your tailbone and butt uh, and uh, pubic bone make a diamond. Mm-hmm. And as you're you know, yes. taking that breath in and you're feeling yourself in 360 degrees, imagining that, that that diamond is also getting bigger to then connect to that bottom part of that deep core unit. Yes. And the, the lengthening and letting go and relaxing piece is definitely something that has shifted in my teaching because 
just teaching from a Pilates viewpoint without any pre-postnatal training or knowledge, you kind of keep the pelvic floor humming. Like once you're into the body of an exercise, you're not trying to let it, like say if you're doing something like hundreds. Um, whereas later on throughout my career, you know, we're learning about the letting it go piece and not always trying to contract, hold, engage. So let's move to that a little bit because I think there's also a misconception that if you have incontinence or some kind of discomfort that, you know, we assume that it's you're, you're weak, you're loose, um, you know, that we need to strengthen and tighten. So maybe speak to that piece a little bit, um, you know, that tight isn't necessarily good or strong or, you know, all these words, we kind of have preconceived concepts of what they mean. Absolutely. Like bang on there. So um, I also say you can't Kegel your way um, to a healthier pelvic floor necessarily. And I right. feel like there are some women that have, um, you know, disappointing views of what pelvic health or pelvic therapy can do for them because they have tried some Kegels. And the reason why Kegels um, may not necessarily address their concerns is because it's not always about a strong pelvic floor. If you want good pelvic health, you need a fit pelvic floor. And if we look at what the components of fitness are, we're looking at power, endurance, coordination, extensibility. And what we notice in our practice is that oftentimes, more often than not, especially in the circumstances of mixed urinary incontinence, which is the stress piece where you you know may have some leaking with walking or squatting and coughing and sneezing, but as well as the you know urgency and frequency and, and that may be wet or dry. Um, is that these women's pelvic floors are too on and meaning that they're in a perpetual state of contraction and that Mm -hmm. may or may not mean that the tissues have actually shortened as well. But when something is on all the time, the analogy that I use to explain to my clients is like me walking around with a 10 pound dumbbell in my arm in a complete curled position And then somebody saying to me, hey, Cor, can you curl out a little more? And I can't. I got nowhere to go. I'm at my max state already. So if we're walking around with our pelvic floors in already, you know, a near maximal contracted state, one, it's tired. And two, when we need it to then step up, right, to close even more around our sphincters to keep us dry, it has nowhere to go. And this, mm-hmm. and this is why breath is core. And this is why breath is so important. We need that diaphragm to come down into the abdominal cavity to allow that pelvic floor to lengthen in response to the increase in pressure that that has created which then loads that pelvic floor with elastic energy so then it can then contract and recoil to use that energy to close tightly around our sphincters to keep us dry so that's where a lot of yes like the relax and let go and the coordination piece of pelvic health becomes way more important than the kegel 
Yes. And um, I, I don't know if any other Pilates people can resonate with this, but I know for myself, when I'm teaching clients all day and like, you know, in my groove and I'm excited, I tend to do it with them. So I feel like I've always created that, you know, hypertonic state of like holding all day because I'm as I'm teaching and cueing and saying it, I'm doing it too. So that was a piece for myself that I had to kind of let go of a little bit. Um, And I joke about, you know, Elsa from Frozen and her like, let it go uh, piece, but learning how to relax. And I think for, you know, whether it's the mom piece or just a lot of people in general in the population, do you find that it ties in with maybe stress levels, personality types, maybe even hormonal, but just the the relaxing or letting go piece, um, you know, being linked beyond the physical. 110% to all of the above. And they've done research to support that. Cool. So uh, and this, this goes back to like a very primitive protective response where, you know, if we wanted the human race to continue, like we better protect our pelvic floor and our reproductive parts and um you know we readily accept that we hold tension in our shoulders and our jaw we hold as much tension in our pelvic floor and that isn't something that we're ready to accept and that can be definitely or that we can and as as we're saying this like i'm literally sitting here like going (laughs) but you know and just the simple fact that your jaw is so related and a reflection of your pelvis and so many people do hold tension in their jaw and grind their teeth at night and like all these things you know that that's going to have a direct link to the function of their pelvis that's right yeah and and so we do see this you know personality type of you know more the the type a go-getter um you know thinks overthinker overanalyzer um doesn't really is you know on eight to twelve cylinders all of the time um mm-hmm. you know and somebody that's not necessarily great at giving themselves some some grace um you know those are the women and in men that we see that are what we call like in the state of sympathetic overdrive so the sympathetic nervous system is that nervous system that mm-hmm. is that fight flight fright system and yeah that we'll see that in multiple areas of the body not just the pelvic floor and that's another reason for our detailed you know intake and you know getting to know you as well as looking at your your whole body as well yeah definitely because it's also challenging even just with whether it's the breath work or the relaxing piece but if an individual is not already in tune with well how do i breathe like when i inhale where does that travel to on my body you know it's hard to teach them a new technique if they're not already aware of the state that their body's in and how they're breathing or holding, uh, you know, before we start to try to mold that and change it. Aware, like, and the awareness is huge. Like, that's, there's mm-hmm. those few states, those four stages of learning, right? Like, you're sub subconsciously incompetent, you know, and then you have this conscious incompetence, right? And as you learn then you become consciously competent. And then the idea is that you become 
unconsciously or subconsciously competent, right? And that mm-hmm. oh, it sounds so easy as we talk about those stages of learning, but you know, we do spend a lot of time with awareness and doing different techniques of connecting to your pelvic floor because we have been told, you know, on a societal level, it's, you know, the, the messaging is, is quite pervasive that, you know, this is essentially a taboo area and we have disconnected from it. And, you know, to learn that um, is challenging and, and, and the older we are, the more challenging it is to connect but it, if with with the mindset of you know wanting to, it's always possible. Oh, definitely. No, I like to kind of giggle and say like we are not our grandmother's vaginas. Right. You know, we, we we know so much more now that there's really no reason for anyone to be you know in pain or suffering or, or dealing with any of these issues because there's options. You just have to be willing to want to reach out and try. Absolutely. And, you know, it might take a little bit of work, it might take a lot of work. Um, But the the dividends on that investment of your time, I mean, it's a it's a lifetime of of quality. And it's, it's it's Mm -hmm. worth it. You're always worth it. Um, Let's talk a little bit about like, I don't, I know, in my book, I mentioned do's and don'ts. And I feel like, you know, for a while, there was just this like concept of never do a crunch again, never do a plank again. And that's not really the message. It's more so if you've just had a baby, the best way to train your core is not to lay down and do a hundred crunches, you know, and I like to tell my moms like, but the goal is to do every single movement again. Eventually we just want to train your core and your breathing to support you in whatever movement that is and incorporate those movements at the appropriate time for when you're breathing and your core is ready for that load. But the optimal goal is to become dynamic. So what do, what would you tell clients you know, as far as different movements go, like if someone is coming to you and they're having, say, incontinence when they're jumping, um, you know, we don't want to say, well, you're never going to jump again, but how do you kind of address something like that or like do's or don'ts or, you know, just this concept around what people can find on the internet or like, I love how you Google like strengthen your core and right away you see someone holding like a full plank, you know, well, it takes some people a long time to work towards being able to properly hold a full plank and breathe properly. Um, So speak to that a little bit, just exercise choices, depending on maybe where you're at in this process. So um, depending on where I'm able to catch um, new moms, and ideally, I like to catch them before they've even had their first baby. Um, But the number one thing I want them to remember that I tell them is that what we do in the first one to two years postpartum will set the stage for the rest of their life in terms of their pelvic health. So, uh, you know, we definitely advocate for movement, but spend the first three days in bed. Like we, we don't um, put enough emphasis emphasis on, you know, giving birth is it's hard on our bodies. Yes. Our bodies are designed to do it, but our body just went through something big rest right? If you really feel like you have to do something in those first three days, breathe. And then, you know, into yes. that four to six weeks postpartum, you know, it's, I mean, most of us are in survival mode at that point anyway. 
right? yeah. But again, so remembering that breath is core. Make sure you're breathing. Make sure focus on your nutrition. Focus on your hydration. Grab those cat naps where you can, you know, and do little mini mm-hmm. walks here and there. Like that's that's enough. Like for it's almost like the the women that have a C-section, you know, they they have to rest for four to six weeks. And, you know, right. women who have, you know, delivered vaginally, um, you know, I wish they would heed some, some of that ad- advice as well. Um, and, you know, depending on your fitness level prior to being pregnant and during pregnancy is going to dictate your ability to return. So I did some, you know, silly, yes. silly things in my postpartum um, period that, you know, I, I won't repeat, repeat again. And, you know, I will empathize that it is difficult to, um, you know, scale back when you're, you know, trying to get your body back. And I have a whole issue with that statement. But, um, you know, we do ignore what our body is telling us, you know, in this, in this um, plight to, you know, go get back to our old self. But yeah, definitely. There's, there's so much pressure on women. And I think we put a lot of that pressure on ourselves, you know, but like, no one's going to get a medal if you're up doing loads of laundry day two after you've had your baby, you know, like no one's going to applaud you, you know, and at the end of the day, it's really up to you, the mom to take care of your body because no one else can do that for you. You know, right. So I, I, I am, I am changing my mind. (laughs) And I really think that in those four to six weeks, we should just be focusing on breath and essentially, you know, light walks and, you know, push your walking as, as you know, your body is tolerating, but be very honest and true with what your body is telling yourself. I've also changed Mm -hmm. my mind based on emerging research that um, we should actually be wearing an abdominal binder um, in the first four to six weeks postpartum. And if we look at the reasons why, and that's to support that recoil of our abdomen and support the connective tissue, because it's going under a rapid state of change. If the research is suggesting that we wear, you know, uh, something to support ourselves in that first four to six weeks, that would also suggest that we don't do significant abdominal loading in that time. And for right, interesting. So let's let's talk about that yeah. for a moment. I had one after my first baby, and I have you know wide curvy hips. I'm very short waisted, yeah. and I felt like the one that I had. No, grant you, I know there's more than one style, but it didn't fit me right. I felt like it created a downwards pressure yeah. because my wide hips made it float up. And I felt like just using like an old school tensor bandage and like wrapping it on myself so that it was lifting upwards. Um, it felt better for me. So speak to that for moms that are at home trying to use these things. Like we want to make sure that we're not restricting the rib cage and creating a downward pressure because we got that sucker on so tight, correct? Like what you just like banged on everything, like hammer on nail, uh, so good there. So yes, we need this upward pressure gradient, more pressure sort of at the, 
at the level of our, um, uh, I'm going to say greater trochanter, but, you know, in our very lower abdomen, just above our pubic bone and, you know, less of that pressure building up. So we don't want a corset style brace at all. That is going to negatively, like, it's not going to achieve the purpose of this brace. So the ideal brace has two or has two flexible arms that you are able to um, modify on your own so it can fit properly. And yes, there's nothing wrong with the tensor bandages. Some of these, you know, a lot of these, like these are $60, $70, even more over, like it's easy to find these over the $100 mark. That's expensive for four to six weeks, in my opinion. And yes, a tensor bandage will absolutely achieve a similar thing. And it doesn't need to cover your whole abdomen. Essentially, if we're supporting you from pubic bone to, you know, bottom of rib cage, like that's, that's enough. Yes. And I think that's really key. And moms, you know, need to understand that piece that you want to feel that it's, you know, lower than what a lot of women think. Like a lot of women think like, oh, I want that skinny waist back. Well, for me, like if I look at my narrowest part where my waist would be, above my navel, um, that's not where all of the issues are. You know, you want to wrap and lift around your hips. And I've seen some that are like really long then, but a very corset style with that lacing kind of up the front or back. But again, if you're restricting your rib cage, then as you've already discussed, that partnership of our four um, pelvic floor transverse multifidus diaphragm, if you're restricting your diaphragm, which lives in your rib cage, you're not going to really be doing any benefits to your pelvic floor. It's counterproductive. It, it, it's yes. So I, there are cases where, you know, uh, a taller type of brace would be indicated. It's definitely the exception and less, less is more like is that we want to be, you know, um, supporting that uterine rebound. Right. So it, it is, mm-hmm. it is more that lower abdomen that needs that support um in that in that four to six week period and after that six weeks get that thing off start start yeah definitely yeah no the first one I had I just you know then I would sit down to nurse and it was like you know pushing up into my breasts and like it was just always so uncomfortable I also felt and you know speak to this for our listeners I went through probably four different baby carriers And some of the baby carriers also are not to mom's benefit because depending on where that strap is around the waist, again, it could be creating a downward pressure. If you have a lower tummy, you know, and then baby weight of baby then is hanging on your shoulders and creating more downwards pressure and then more weight that we're trying to carry around. And I'm not saying baby carriers are bad. I love them. I, like I said, I use them, but it took me going through several different styles for my body to figure out what was going to support me, like in all areas, the best way and baby as well. Yeah, there is a huge trial and error um, process based on picking a carrier. And it's not just mom, right? It's how baby likes, how baby likes to sit, like some like to kind of nuzzle in close. Others sort of like to be in a bit more of an extended position pushing off of you, which is also going to influence how that weight is distributed and whether you're you know, shorter waisted or longer torso, all, all of that broader shoulders, narrow shoulder, all of that matters. 
So um, mm-hmm. taking the time, you know, in a when we can go to the stores, um, try to you know try them on and see how it fits on you, and you know, um, is is sort of the best best way. Check their return policies. Um, so that you are able to kind of use it a bit. And then if it's not working out head on back, I find that that is the the best way. Um, and yeah, that is definitely a piece of baby equipment that is worth investing in um, to have ongoing optimized health for sure. Backs, everything, mm-hmm, right? Definitely. So tell us um, a bit about, I, you know, I've mentioned to my clients before when I'm trying to send them to a pelvic floor physio and I'll kind of laugh and explain like what separates you from a regular physical therapist is that you have been trained to, you know, snap the glove and do an internal assessment, which goes, of course, above and beyond what I can do as far as symmetry in the pelvic floor, you know, what's tight, what needs um, balance or strength. So I know you mentioned already that the first session is you're kind of dating more. I love that you said that. So before you snap the glove, there is a dating period. Um, but, but should clients expect that to be a part of their experience? Based on the research that we have, you know, we can't infer what's happening with the pelvic floor based on the information that we glean. Um, it is best to understand, you know, if, if you're leaking, if there's prolapse, is this is this an issue because there's a weakness or is this an issue because there's coordination, uh, a lack of coordination and tightness? And we, we really truly, um, the best way to get that information is with an internal exam, keeping with mm-hmm. our, you know, values of, you know, compassion and rapport and making sure that our ladies are comfortable. This is never something that is forced on them. And, you know, we allow them to be ready for that on their timeline. Um, But Uh it is something that if we are, you know, permitted to do, uh, we can get a lot of information to help. And I do find the way that we have been trained to do our internal exams is often unlike the experiences of other exams that we have had. So, you know, when we are doing the internal, there's nothing that we have to do and, and not being able to do certain things gives us good information as well. So, you know, our, our ladies were not, I tell them if you're sitting there white knuckled grin, like gritting through this, that's not okay. So, you know, we will often start, so that's not a deal breaker then. So for a woman that's maybe had trauma, whether from birth or other issues or a man, um, that's not a deal breaker for you to be able to help someone. If that's if that's what someone is fearful of, I guess, if that's what's holding them back from coming to see you, um, it's not a deal breaker. It's not necessary for you to feel, still be able to move forward that's, with treatment. That's right. And again, that's that's part of, that's tra- part of treating the person, right? If that's not something that's on the table for them, that's not something that's on the table for them. And we 100% respect that. Right. Okay, good. Very interesting. So many things we could chat about. Tell us some last um, thoughts. What would you want to say to everyone out there listening, whether you're a mom or just maybe an athlete, anyone that is sensing discomfort, urgency, incontinence, 
tell us what you want people to do. That uh, my last kind of comments here go back to what we started to chat about in terms of the do's and don'ts of exercise, right? So I think that there's, um, we live in a world of black and white where, you know, this is okay and this isn't. And, you know, if you have pain, if you are leaking with certain exercises, you know, there's pressure, you know, you're worried about a mommy tummy or whatever, you know, you can get help and still carry on with your life. Like we don't want to be restrictive in terms of, no, you can't lift, you can't squat, you can't plank, you can't do all this. Like I love, I loved what right. you said, Renee, of, you know, we do want you to be able to do everything, but you might have to implement some strategies that are unique to you to be able to do those things well. And so, you know, if, if, you know, CrossFit gets a bad rap for leaking, you know, unnecessarily, like if you want to do CrossFit, you can do CrossFit and you can do CrossFit and stay dry. Right. Um, if you, right. you know, want to do Pilates, right? Pilates, there's some bad information about Pilates out there and mummy tummies and diastases, right? So. Definitely, yeah. I think a lot of um, medical professionals, you know, still really don't know what Pilates is and the full vocabulary of what it can offer. You know, it's a lot of people just think of Pilates as being like a person in a teaser position on a mat, which is not accessible and one of the hardest mat exercises to do. So like that wouldn't be something I would do for like a postnatal training. So yeah, that's, definitely. That's right. And that's also like, that doesn't mean that some of the challenging Pilates positions, you know, would infinitely be off the table either. It's, and I think Pilates is a, is a great vehicle for, you know, building that core awareness and building that core development um, you know, because, because of your training, especially, especially as a Pilates instructor with hypopressives, like that just blew my mind as, you know, a pelvic, pelvic health therapist, um, you know, the, the hypopressive, um, um, technique, but what I, like, what I want to say to women out there is it, it can be better. Uh, we, we deserve you know, healthy pelvic floors to carry us through all of the decades, menopause and beyond. And it is possible. It's just, you know, it requires an investment of, you know, regular care. And this is an area of our body that, you know, is deserving of that, of that care. And it's not that hard. You know, I, you know, it's harder to, you know, rehab a shoulder and rehab a back. The pelvic, right, right? the pelvic health stuff is, it's not, um, it's not mystifying things that we do. It's, you know, managing a lot of lifestyle factors. And uh, like we talked about earlier, you know, managing how that rib cage is both moving and sitting over our pelvis and are we breathing well? And essentially, if we can get that down, you can have a healthy pelvic floor. You can manage a prolapse. Yes. You can dry yourself Definitely. Up. You can you know, have intercourse with your partner without it being uncomfortable. You can decrease your voids. If you're over 55, you're allowed to pee once at night. If you're younger than 55, you should be making it through the whole night without getting up to pee. You can achieve right. that. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I feel like what's become normal for a lot of women it, you know they need to understand that it's not necessary 
you know, it might be common or normal when you speak to girlfriends that you're having these issues, but it doesn't mean that it's necessary. Like, oh, you've had a baby, so this is how things are for the rest That's of your right. life. And I was, I was yeah. in that position when I, you know, was pregnant with my first, you know, there was a myriad of comments coming my way of, yeah, you just won't jump on a trampoline again, or, you know, your skin this and this that and, and right. that was, like, this is, you know, well-intended words of wisdom that was being passed to me. And yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have the heart to tell them that it didn't have to be that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we can jump on trampolines and do all kinds of stuff if we just want to take the time to put the work in and take the time to slow down. You know, I think that's another piece is, yes, I love that you said you can go to, you know, your boot camp or your CrossFit or whatnot, but it doesn't mean that you have to pee your pants while you do that for the rest of your life. You just have to be willing to do the other work and the other pieces. And I, you know, ideally those worlds should eventually merge, you know, so that you can do this breathing while you're doing your CrossFit or your lunges or your, your, you know, your squatting, et cetera. That's where like the magic kind of starts to come together for people. I find that's not kind of, that is where it happens, right? When we are able to take these skills and move them into our everyday and move them into function and move them into our challenging tasks. That's when we are in the driver's seat of our pelvic floor. Excellent. I love everything you're saying. You're brilliant. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours. Please tell everyone where they can find you. Anything you want to tell them, your Instagram handle, uh, address, the clinic, anything you want to tell the listeners how they can find you. So Ireland Manual Physiotherapy is a physio clinic in Kingsville. So uh, we do uh, both pelvic health and the regular physio stuff that most people are aware of. And we do um, put a lot of good information on Instagram and Facebook, um, like about exercises and information about different conditions and things. And so the handle is at Ireland MPT. And um, our website is www.irelandmpt.com. And there is a whole kind of myriad of ways of getting into contact with us and learning about the clinic there and yeah excellent thank you you so much Corey. and everyone check out her instagram she also um posts free exercises and uh nice visuals that things you can do at home as well i love that you do that for your followers and thank you so so much for coming on and chatting with me i loved everything we said today (laughs) you're helping to share this message so thanks for helping that happen for you know, advocacy for these women out there. Awesome. I love it. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening today. Everyone take care. Bye-bye.